Welcome everyone to FF Plus, a spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussion. I'm your host, Aaron White, and on this episode, I will be bringing you two new reviews. This will be the first of two FF Plus episodes this week. The other one will feature a couple of animated films, and I just thought that for the sake of easier consumption and shorter runtime, I would just break these two apart in case some folks aren't really interested in the animated movies at all. But those of you with kids, be sure and stay tuned and get ready to check that one out here later on. By the way, if you have been enjoying the content and the reviews, would love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app or listening place of choice. It always helps us out and brings more eyeballs to the show and thus more people that will hopefully join our wonderful Feelin' Film Facebook discussion group or find us on Twitter or find us in our Repod community, anywhere we are to talk movies because that is one thing we always love to do. Here on FF Plus, the format is always straightforward. It's simple, short, and spoiler-free. So let's get started. The first film we're going to discuss is Vengeance from Focus Features. It stars BJ Novak, Boyd Holbrook, Dove Cameron, Issa Rae, and Ashton Kutcher. It is both written and directed by BJ Novak. What's it about? A journalist and podcaster travel from New York City to Texas to investigate the death of a woman whom he hooked up with. Now, this is the writing and directorial debut for BJ Novak, and I can tell you right away, I am a big fan. I think that this signals strongly that Novak is especially a writer to keep an eye on. The best part of this film for me was the script. It is a razor-sharp, darkly comedic, and highly commentary-heavy movie. It kicks off with this you know, crazy situation. He's having a conversation with a certain musical artist, I won't spoil it for you, on the top of a rooftop bar in New York City. And they're essentially discussing hookup culture and how meaningless it is. They are constantly texting at the same time that they're talking and they're they're texting back and forth with multiple women and they're referring to how the women are saved in their phones as Becky something or, I don't know, Sarah S or whatever. Like, they're not actual relationships. They're just people who have floated in and out of their orbits and there's no real connectedness to them. And the, a gag starts at this conversation that continues throughout the whole film where they continually will, one will say something and the other one will just respond with 100%, 100%, 100%, which is great and hilarious. It's a, it's a funny joke and it runs throughout the film and I think it's pretty meaningful because it's something that we tend to just run off of our tongue and we don't actually think about what we're saying when we use that particular phrase that has become so, so prolific. The story once BJ Novak's character Ben gets to Texas where he is essentially pretending to be the boyfriend of this girl who has OD'd on opioids. The family believes that they had a closer relationship, and so he fakes it because he doesn't want to let them down. And then when the brother, played by 
Holbrook is asking him to come on this mission of vengeance alongside him to find out what happened to his sister because he just can't possibly believe that she OD'd. He thinks that there is nefarious things at play. BJ Novak's character is like, oh, hey, this is my opportunity to get the story, right? Like most journalists tend to do. And since he's a podcaster, he calls his editor or producer back home played by Issa Rae. And he's like, this is what we want to do. And the podcast, by the way, is titled Dead White Girl, which is just so on the nose and awful in so many ways. But it, it it's that scathing commentary I was talking about. The movie that comes after is sort of a murder mystery. There's a ton of joking about being in Texas. This family is your very kind of typically perceived conservative family where there's guns and country music and their ambitions are to be famous. That's what they want out of life. There's just all sorts of a constant barrage of like funny little nods and moments and things that will make people who are liberals it will basically reaffirm your perspective of what you think everybody in Texas is probably like. That for better and for worse, what I think Novak does as a writer that makes this more palatable is that he adds in some character traits for each of the family members that really gives them some humanity and gives them a little bit of an emotional moment each that makes you kind of have some empathy and understanding for them. And I think it encourages that, which is really good. The other star of the film, as far as like small performance that looms large is Aston Kutcher. He's only in it for a few scenes, but he definitely brings a sense of gravitas or charisma to it. He's great in his moments. He's a gem as Holbrook is Holbrook. I think is really good in the movie. Novak's solid as well. But I think his writing is by far what stands out the most. The direction is so-so. It's really, this is a movie where it's going to look just fine at home. There's nothing interesting happening outside of maybe the final climax of the film. One of the characters goes on this long monologue. And I think there are some cool directorial choices during that sequence that helps to make it more affecting uh, than it maybe would have been if it had just been shot straight through. And I, I really liked the movie. I thought that he balances the tonal shifts between the dark comedy and this mystery story and those emotional moments I was talking about. And then, of course, just this nonstop look at what the identity of America is and what. I really appreciate about movies that are trying to have a message or look at social commentary in this way are when they genuinely lead me to a point of self-reflection that feels vital. And this one did that, even if just for a moment. I I would honestly compare it to something like Not Okay, which is one of the films that I reviewed last week. It has a similar kind of thing that it makes you look at yourself and go, what what am I doing and why am I doing it? And is this the right way to be living my life? Now, how far people take that beyond just watching this film, who knows? But it could lead to positive change for someone. And that's a cool thing, all while being a 
pretty brisk, just over 90 minute movie. I think it's like 100, 107 minutes total with credits and it's really entertaining. Don't think it's one that you're probably going to watch a ton over and over, but I liked it. The film will be in theaters on July 29th and I gotta say, it's hard for me to recommend going to the theater simply because there's really nothing cinematic about it. Although this is not one of the films that has a theater run and then an already tied to a streamer. So maybe go see it now because who knows when it's going to become available on a streaming service. I also kind of want to recommend it just because it's always good to go see original storytelling in the theater because it lets the studios know that we want more of that. Just set your expectations accordingly that it's not a big action type of film in any shape or form. But it is a good movie and a a fun watch. The other film I have for this episode to talk about is 13 Lives from United Artists and Amazon Studios. It stars Viggo Mortensen, Colin Farrell, Joel Edgerton, and Tom Bateman. It is directed by Ron Howard and written by Non McPherson and William Nicholson. What's it about? A rescue mission is assembled in Thailand where a group of young boys and their soccer coach are trapped in a system of underground caves that are flooding. Now, this is a true story based on an event in 2018 uh, when this soccer team and their coach got stuck in this cave system for, I think, well over 20 days or close going on 20 days. I can't remember the exact amount of time. And it is a an incredibly unbelievable, inspirational story of how this rescue went down. Now, if you keep up with films, you may know that last year there was a documentary covering this same exact event by the Oscar-winning husband and wife team Elizabeth Chai Vasarhelyi and Jimmy Chin called The Rescue. That was my number two documentary of the year last year. I think it is an absolutely amazing movie and and just uh, such a detailed film about what went down here. They had lots of footage of the staging and there are some really great graphics work that helped to explain just how dangerous and wild this cave system was and how nuts it is that this event, this actual rescue even took place. If you've seen that, there's nothing here that's new. This is strictly a dramatization. And so you just understand that these are two different methods of storytelling about the same event. And I think that they have different purposes. I actually believe firmly that both versions have a lot of value. And I think that they complement each other very well. The reason is because while The documentary is obviously on the technical side and can only focus on the footage that it has and the interviews that it's able to get after the fact. By dramatizing the story, we get some extra things. Like in the documentary, there's no actual time spent with the boys. It's not like they're filming themselves while they're hanging out for a dozen days in the cave system, but we get to see them and introduce to them before they go into the caves. We get to see some time spent with them in the cave system while they're stuck down there. And I think that that helps to give us a little bit more of a perspective of what it could have been like inside and to attach us to the boys in a more meaningful way because 
we have these characters. We have the, they have names to us now. We have seen them joke with each other and ride bikes, and we know that somebody's having a birthday. And so it just gives you kind of a more of a connection to the kids that are trying to be rescued. And then we also get a little bit of time spent with parents. And I think that that was a good choice because it helps to give us the perspective of what it might be like to be a parent in Thailand and not to be getting any information about your kid and what's going on. Even when the rescue happens, the government was withholding the names of them as they came out because they weren't sure whether or not they were all going to be saved. And so things like that, getting to see the parents react and having kind of walked through the whole story, seeing the parents along the way was pretty impactful, in my opinion, for me at least. It was something that added a bit of emotion to this story that I had not experienced really previously in the documentary. I think that the way that it's told the story here, the dramatization is very compelling. It's very thorough. It covers pretty much every major aspect of this very complicated rescue that I remember from the documentary. There is an experimental medical technique involved. There is a ton of international cooperation that was required to pull this off and government bureaucracy that comes into play at times. And it really, it hits on all of those things. It gives voice and shows you some of the volunteer work that had to happen. That is just, again, there is so much about this event that is just literally incredible. When you watch it, you're like, wow, all of this stuff had to happen perfectly and all of it contributed to the ultimate result. Performance-wise, I think Vigo is excellent. He and Colin Farrell are kind of the lead cave diver duo. They're Brits, and they end up leading the charge. But Vigo's character in real life, I believe his name is Richard Stanton, uh, even as portrayed in the documentary, he is a, a sort of a no-nonsense kind of guy. Like, he is... I kind of wonder, maybe you have to be like that in a way to to want to be like an expert cave diver. This is a crazy thing that they do, but he doesn't have a ton of empathy that just like, he doesn't exude that. He is all about like, how are we going to get it done? What is the technical understanding of this and how can we get done quickly, et cetera? Like he's not there to be soft hearted. And of course, we see that play out in the film version, and we also get to witness a little bit of that changing, which is really sweet. It's not saccharine, and I appreciate that. It doesn't ever go into melodrama. This movie does not, and I think that that is one of its greatest strengths. But the performances are super solid. Uh, Joel Egerton, as well as the doctor who comes in with this incredibly almost unethical idea, but it's all that they can do. And the, the, his performance is brief, but watching him depict this doctor kind of wrestling with this idea and knowing that it's going to be on him, whether or not it succeeds in many ways, is really well done. The diving sequences themselves, we spend a lot of time in the caves, and the underwater photography looks great. The sound design is fantastic. And it's super claustrophobic, and the tension is definitely there. It shows how dangerous it must have been. And it looks great on the big screen. It's a real shame that most people won't get to see it that way. It is also overlong. The movie is over two and a half hours, and 
you kind of start to feel it by the end. While being as thorough as it does, I think it could have snappied that up just a little bit and tightened it and cut this down by maybe 20 minutes and made it flow a little better because it does start to really get to the point where you're like, all right, all right, all right. And I actually think that the lack of a score through maybe the first three quarters of a movie is kind of nice. It feels a little different. It doesn't, again, it doesn't lean into melodrama, but then that final act, it does have a little bit of a score that helps to raise the energy and get you in the headspace of like, okay, we're in the moment now and we don't know what's going to happen. And that's one of the highest pieces of praise I can give it as well. Much like the documentary is the movie was able to make me question what was going to happen, even when I knew going into it what the result was. And I think that that is a sign of good filmmaking. So 13 Lives will be in theaters on July 29th for one week only. This is so dumb. I do not like it. Then it will be streaming on Amazon Prime Video on August the 5th. It may or may not be available at your specific theater chain that's local to you. Be sure and you know keep an eye out, check and see if it's there. If it is, I highly recommend seeing it in a theater, please. It's going to look a lot better. You're going to be more invested in it. You're not going to be distracted by things in your home. I think this is definitely worth going to a movie theater to see. So if you have that opportunity during that one-week run, take advantage of it. Otherwise, go ahead and put it in your plans now to get this on your list for August 5th when it becomes available on Amazon Prime Video because it is well worth a watch. Well, that's it for this episode of FF Plus. As I mentioned, there will be another one coming later this week, so keep an ear out for that. Hopefully, I've helped you make an informed decision about movies that you may or may not be interested in. That's it for me. I'll be back soon. Until then, keep watching and keep feeling filmed.